don't just read the don't just read the code like actually open up an example open up an editor like type it out and and see it working or or see it break and, and then learn how to fix it Welcome to React Delivery, the podcast where we discuss everything that isn't covered by Create React App. I'm your host, Conlon Durbin, and I'm joined today by Dave Sedia, a software engineer from Boston, writer, and author of Pure React. How's it going, Dave? Going great, Conlon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, let's just jump right in. Can you give me just a quick introduction um, to yourself? Sure. So um, I've been doing software development for, uh, I don't even know, maybe over 10 years, I guess. I'm one of those people who kind of like learned to code when I was a kid and then did it in high school and did it in college, um, did the whole CS degree and all that. And um, yeah, so these days I do primarily front-end development stuff. Um, and last year I went full-time on the teaching side of things. So most of my time now is spent doing like blogging and video courses and books and that kind of thing. Um, and a little bit of consulting on the side. But yeah, pretty much all kind of reacty stuff and just like javascripty in general um trying to keep up with the world of javascript cool um so how did, how did you get involved in react um what what drove you to that what i mean i know it's kind of the big thing so it makes sense that if you're doing javascript that might be what you get into but was there any like do you have a job where you started working on it or was it just an interest yeah so um see so so my first like full-time front-end developer job, I was using AngularJS, like Angular 1X. Um, and it was like probably 2015 or so. Um, and um, Angular 2 was kind of on the horizon. I think it was in like alpha or beta then. And I was kind of playing around with it because I had started blogging about Angular 1 um, kind of as I was doing it for the day job. And that, that was kind of a nice synergy of things, I guess. Um, but... Uh, with, with Angular 2 coming, I felt like I should, you know, like, hey, I'm doing this Angular blog. I should figure out how this new one works and start writing about that, maybe. So I played around with it a bit, and I just wasn't really gelling with it at all. And like, I kind of felt like they had rewritten a lot of things and kind of moved a lot more. I always felt kind of like Angular was um, like a front-end framework for back-end developers, like sort of geared, to, like it had dependency injection and um, just kind of more of a focus on stuff that Java developers would have probably been familiar with at the time. Uh, and I felt like Angular 2 took another step in that direction. I was like, that's not so much for me. And I, so I, at that point I checked out React, um, and, and it, I don't know, kind of, kind of fell in love with it after that. I initially, I sort of avoided React because I remember thinking that like HTML and JavaScript looked weird. Like the whole concept of JSX was, was like, kind of felt like going backwards. I was like, I don't know, that seems like a bad idea. But once I actually tried it, um, you know, it, once I sort of put, put fingers to keyboard or whatever, um, and, and wrote a couple of little apps, I was like, oh, this is, this is way cleaner than, than the way Angular approaches things. So, um, so yeah, sort of like from there, I kind of started writing more about React and then, um, when like a new project came up at work, we had to decide what to write it in and it react seemed like a good choice. 
Awesome. I actually have almost the exact same story. I was doing some consulting work uh, with Angular 1 and then had to evaluate between Angular 2 and React and had seen what they basically did between Angular 1 and Angular 2, where it was just completely incompatible. Uh, yeah. And we decided to go with React. And that's how I became a React developer. I also hated yeah. JSX when I first started it. <laughs> yeah, I think it was kind of a common thing then. I, and I kind of wonder, I don't know if it still is, you know, if people just sort of take it for granted now. Um, you, you mentioned the, the book. So I wrote the, a book called Pure React, like a little while after I started, probably about a year after I started playing with React. Um, and it was one of the things I really... Like I have a whole section in the book addressing that, like why JSX is not evil. Um, <laughs> and I kind of wonder if that's still a thing, like do people still worry about it? Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I, I think a lot of the frameworks are really moving that way. You know, uh, Vue has a concept similar to that. Um, there's a lot of things out there. I think people kind of realize that it made more sense than the, the Angular method where you were just binding um like behaviors to html blocks um yeah yeah it's pretty interesting um so you mentioned your book um i'd love to talk a little bit more about that um kind of what it covers what what is pure react um to you to to the book anything like that yeah sure so um so i, I sort of the, the reason behind it was that like when i when i started out with react the create react app didn't exist yet and I think um, there were a couple other tools out there, like I think uh, Quick was one of them, Q-U-I-K. Uh, and there was another one, React Hot Loader, Hot Pack or something, Heat Pack, something like that. Um, anyway, there were a couple of these things that were, were geared towards like how to get a React project set up quickly without all the Webpack stuff and Babel and having to manually configure all those things. Um and at the time, it was kind of like either that or you clone a boilerplate project, right? So then then you've got this whole code base that you have never seen before, and you're sort of like trying to learn this code base you've just cloned and also React. Um, and so it felt like people, one of, the, one of the biggest struggles I kept seeing over and over was that people would try to learn um, React, and I'm putting air quotes around that, because by React, they also meant like Webpack and Babel and Redux and, you know, making API calls, everything at the same time. Um, and so I felt like my intro to React was um, was actually this article by James Nelson called Raw React, where you pretty much just write like React.create element a bunch instead of JSX. Okay. And uh it, that was was kind of the one that broke the barrier for me and made me feel like, hey, this is this is all just JavaScript, um, and also like no other dependencies. It was just you write this, you know, you write your JavaScript code and stuff appears on the page, and so that was kind of the approach I wanted to take with the book. So, um, that's that's kind of what I did. I, it starts with uh, starts from like bare essentials with hello world and kind of moves on from there but only sticking to uh, the stuff you get out of the box with Create React App. Now, um, I think when I wrote it, Create React App had just come out when I released the book or something, so I kind of scrambled in that first week, and I was like, changed all the references <laughs> to, to use Create React App. But, um, but it, it worked out okay. So, yeah, that, I, I think people, people have responded pretty well to it. I think it's been kind of a... It felt like it, it was kind of a... Um, uh, like I, I, obviously I need more libraries. Right. And, um, I mean, for, for a production app, I think you kind of do, but I also don't, don't think it's 
great to learn them all at the same time. So, yeah, that really yeah. resonates with me. I, uh, I was one of the people who learned React um, and thought that I needed to learn like Webpack and Babel and all of the the new stuff that came with it. Um, I think I would have really, really liked to have pure React when I was learning it. Um, that's that's very interesting. So, yeah, I think it's yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I I think people maybe struggle with it less now because Create React app is so well known. I think the 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 the, the boilerplate struggle and the. Uh, just sort of like, how do I start up my project sort of went away, that the whole problem went away. But um, I do still think there's, there's that issue of a lot of tutorials out there will kind of throw everything at you at the same time, because I think that's kind of what people want. I think that when, when they're looking for like, how do I build an app? It's like, how do I build a an entire app? Like I want to build the, the, the back end and the front end, and I want like a, a working prototype thing. And I think you you can you can do that, but then you're kind of learning seven things at once, and you kind of don't. It's hard to tell, like you know, what's JavaScript, what's React, what's Redux, like which parts of code belong to which thing, and like how do I solve problems when I don't know what is even broken? <laughs> yeah, I, I still think that's kind of an issue. So I think it's still relevant, even even though the sort of creating project part has gone away. Yeah, that's I. I, I... That definitely tracks with my experience in uh, my career. Um, I definitely have learned the most about React when I could become just a React engineer and not have to do a full stack backend, you know, DevOps, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, right. Super interesting. That, that's interesting, too, because, you know, we talk a lot about, like, um, learning new things off job hours and, and digging into things um, with, like, side projects and stuff like that. But it's almost you, you'd almost be better served to not try to build like whole side projects if you want to learn a specific language. Um, what, what do you think about? Yeah, that? I, I, I kind of agree with that. I mean, I think it's so I think it's great to learn all the stuff eventually. Like I, I, I love learning new things and I'm always kind of like keen to to pick up some new technology or whatever. Um, but from the learning standpoint, I also know that like it'll go much better if I can focus on one little thing, learn that thing, and then add on something else later. So like go like learn just React by itself and then go and like, okay, now that I understand that, now I can bring in Redux or context or whatever. Like now I can learn state management. And then once that's like really solid, like, oh now I can now I can go do some tutorials on Node and Express and like learn how the back end works a little bit. Um, so that you're kind of partitioning these things in your heads, so you learn where the boundaries are and what belongs where. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so, so kind of thinking about that too. Um, as you are going to learn these new things, um, step by step, you know, one piece at a time. How do you start that? Do you do you start with documentation? Are you a read the specs kind of guy, or, or where do you go? Um, yeah, I th I think I I would say I probably start with documentation, but I don't go super deep on it first. I think I, I kind of like to get my hands on code quickly because um, I feel like actually trying this stuff out is worth so much more than just reading about it. Uh, it's one of the things I, I try to emphasize a lot in my in my book, too, is like, don't just read the don't just read the code, like actually open up an example, open up an editor, like type it out and, and see it working or or see it break and, and then learn how to fix it. But like that's where the actual learning happens. I think just like reading or or uh, watching videos, I think is is it's an easier trap to fall into because it feels like you understand the thing. If the, especially if the pre presenter does their job well, 
at the end of the video, you're like, oh, awesome. I understand this thing now. But then when you go and try to do it, you're like, oh, I actually, I don't remember like the first line of what to type. Like, I don't even know how to start this thing. So I usually try to like, I'll start at the docs, start at the top and like go through the little tutorial thing. And then once I get something working, I'll kind of veer off and start playing around with it myself and see if I can break it. Yeah, I think that also kind of tracks with where I have been. I'm uh, I'm thinking through all the videos that I've watched that are like my favorite ones. And almost all of them are always uh, more conceptual. You know, they're like general topics of like the event loop or, or something like that. Mm, um, yeah. Yeah, I can't really think of any like good videos that I've seen lately that are, you know, real technical that I actually like remembered the code from. That's very interesting. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's tough to remember that stuff. And I think there's also kind of a disconnect with, um, I don't know, how, how it feels like it will be in your head versus how it actually is when you type it out. Because I've, I've experienced with it with, I mean, like with JSX for the first, was was the first thing where I just, I didn't think I would like it. And I thought it was going to turn into a big mess, like, you know, old PHP code or something like that. I felt like, I don't know, I just like, it seems bad and I don't want to try it. But then once I did, I, I, I realized that like the reality was different than, than kind of the, how it appeared in my head. And I, th I think the same thing happened with, um, with hooks. Like when I first saw the, the new React hooks stuff, it sort of, it seemed like this is weird and magical. Like how is it working and, and where is it going to break down? You know, I think sort of have that, that expectation, like, oh, this, this thing, like it looks neat in this small example, but like, is it actually going to work in a real app and all that? Um, but then once you, once you try it out within a few minutes, the awkwardness went away and I felt like, oh, hey, actually, this is this is pretty great. That's really interesting. I um, I, I had a lot of the same feelings with hooks and uh, JSX. Pretty much everything you're describing is exactly how I felt. I think that, that really speaks to probably kind of how the developer experience goes. I think we tend to uh, compare to things that we understand and like know from before. Um, and sometimes, you know, like you mentioned, like PHP. JSX does feel a whole lot like, uh, you know, closing your PHP tag and then dropping in an HTML uh, statement. And I think that it, yeah. though, those previous mental models can be really good, but sometimes just digging into that code uh, and like really trying it out and giving it a chance is the best way to learn those things. Yeah. And maybe, maybe mental models is, is the right word there. It's like the syntax, even though the syntax matches some old technology you might have known, like it the mental model of the new thing doesn't necessarily match with the old thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, like you, you see the JSX and you're like, oh, this is going to turn into like PHP where I'm like, you know, I don't know, got this interwoven SQL and HTML and JavaScript and it'll be a mess. But then you actually try it and you're like, oh, okay, this is actually, you can make components and it doesn't turn into that at all. Um, but you don't really know that until you actually try it out. Right. Yeah. I, I, I remember early, early on in JSX, um, you know, starting with some of the components and things like that. And just the the realization of like how much they can clean up your code and, and how nice it is to just be able to pull out like a functional component that has 15 lines in it so that it's just not an HTML statement just in your JSX. It's I feel like it's a completely yeah. different way of thinking about that stuff. Um, but it, but it really makes sense with React. Yeah, absolutely. It felt so so lightweight i think especially coming from like angular js where it felt like creating a new component or whatever was like a directive i guess was was like felt like a lot of work <laughs> like there was a lot of files to set up and stuff and 
React is just like, oh, okay, import React and it's a function. And then now it works. <laughs> it's like basically just copy and paste the functionality out. This is wonderful. Yeah. Speaking of uh, similar things like that, um, that's kind of how I feel about Redux. Um, and th there's like all this boilerplate and, and yeah. files. <laughs> yeah. You've written a little bit about Redux, I know, and you, you've talked about it a little bit. You have another uh, course or a book on Redux, pure Redux. I do. Yeah, I have, yeah, I have a course on Redux, too. So um, I guess kind of a twofold question. Can you just give kind of some of your opinions on Redux? It, how, how do you manage it? How can people go about building a good Redux app? Um, and then also maybe like, you know, there's been a lot of talk of like, is the new user reducer hook going to kill Redux and, and stuff like that? What, what do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, so I do think that I would say a couple of years ago, Redux was like the answer to state management in React. And I think it's it's less so now. I think you um it's it's more like if you if you if you have a lot of state and um maybe complex state and your app is really large or something, then then it starts to make more sense. But I think for for smaller stuff, um you can really get away with like the the React context API now. Um just as a way to pass stuff around. Cause I think, I think in a lot of cases, people were using Redux mostly to avoid uh, like the prop drilling pattern where you've, you're sort of threading props down through multiple levels. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think Redux is still, is still relevant. I think it's still useful for larger apps and certainly like there's a lot of companies that they're still using it. So it's, I didn't think you, um, JavaScript community is sort of interesting this way, like something new will come out and all of the buzz flips to the new thing and no one talks about the old thing anymore or like people declare it dead. But still, you know, there's there's hundreds of companies out there that still have code, like they're not rewriting it every week because some new thing came out. So I think what's the what's the stat? Some something some like 60 or more percent of websites still use jQuery or something. So I mean, like. <laughs> Even though, like, we as developers feel like we've moved on, like, this this stuff still sticks around, and I think it's still like still val valid to to learn, um, and still useful for uh, having sort of like a wider array of job prospects and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, uh, I I've known some people in the past who um, were like COBOL developers, um, and they make an absurd amount of money because they just go work for like yeah, right. banks uh, in these places <laughs> yeah. that have these old COBOL machines. Uh, and they're like the only people in the world who know how to write it. So I yeah. wonder, as we move forward, you know, it, we're not that far from the, the heyday of jQuery, but I wonder if moving forward, you're going to see more of those kinds of jobs of like web developers going back and learning jQuery because they're there to help convert things from jQuery to react and that kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I think there's, there's some of those now for sure. I've seen the sorts of jobs where people are converting from Angular apps to React or Backbone to React. Um, Backbone to React seemed to be a popular one for a while. I'm not sure if it still is, but definitely saw some of those jobs out there. Um, yeah, and it, it does seem like a lot of, uh, just sort of anecdotally, kind of seems like a lot of companies that are writing in React now are like transitioning away from something that wasn't React. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's the boat that the company I work for is in. Um, we have an app that's like six years old. And so um, we have a lot of backbone. We have some jQuery. We have some CoffeeScript, all that kind of stuff. And we're, we're slowly working yeah. towards transitioning it to React. But 
it's that balancing act of like building new things and, and getting react out there. Um, and we also have redux, um, and now we're switching to a lot more hooks and context, uh, because they make sense for a lot of our components. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, th- that's an interesting, um, part of being a developer that I think people are starting to talk about more and more, but just, just that, you know, you got to build stuff that is either going to last or that you can easily kill. Yeah. Yeah. It's like stuff is constantly changing and it seems like, I mean, company like the, the, the business value behind switching fr- frameworks is not always very clear. And I think, I think we're seeing it more with React because React has has blown up so so much, you know, because it's sort of become the the new um I don't know, sort of the new standard. I feel like React is in the same place jQuery was a few years ago. Yeah. Um where it's kind of like it's the default choice. And so a lot of developers know it and so if a company needs to be able to hire developers, like they want to be using the framework that everyone knows. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um do you think there's value in uh, hanging on to legacy code? Like, I imagine if if someone switched to Angular two three years ago, right? Uh, they're they're probably regretting that decision right now, um, just with how huge React is. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I wonder how that because I'm sure I'm sure there are some out there that are that are sticking with it, and some out there that are rewriting. Because it seems like Angular is still evolving too. They're, they're up to seven now. I don't remember. Oh, geez. Um, after two, they just kept incrementing by one. And it, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think there there probably is, it's sort of, I think it's a balancing act and it's sort of, it gets more into the business side of things too, where, where like, is the, is the code doing its job? Like is, you know, is it, is it working? Can we change it in a reasonable time frame? And like, does it, does it make the company money sort of at the end of the day? Like, I think that, you sort of have to get over that hurdle if you want to be able to change technologies. And I think that sort of makes sense. Like you don't want to always be rewriting your code. You kind of want to be spending most of your time on like things that had features or things that make customers happier or whatever. And like at some point there's maybe the, um, I guess like the, the, you can sort of start to make the argument that the user experience would be better if we could add these new features and we can't add them because the code is hard to change and stuff. And maybe once you have enough of that, it starts to make more sense to either rewrite or, or like you, like you said, your company's doing where you're sort of adding react in piece by piece. Yeah. That's really interesting. It's, it's, um, I think that the tech debt, uh, paradigm, right. The, the thinking of all that kind of stuff is like a debt that you are, collecting against every day you know pulling a little bit more out as you write using a specific framework even using react these days like theoretically you know it it was unconceivable that uh inconceivable that um jquery was gonna ever disappear like a couple years ago um and now nobody even talks about it um so so yeah that's interesting yeah and even with even within React, I think like, you know, best practices have changed and stuff and the way people do things have changed over the years. I saw, I forget the name of the article now, just the other day, I'll see if I can, I'll see if I can find it. But um, I think, it, I think it referred to the code base as having like, like rings of a tree or something like that, where you could sort of tell just by looking at a piece of code, like when this was written in, in React land, like if you go back a few years, there might be more like, 
you go back a, a while, you'll you'll maybe run into create class, and then like class components were the way to do it for a while, and then lots of Redux, and then lots of you know now we're getting into hooks and maybe like libraries that were cool back then but aren't anymore. Um, so it's it's interesting. Like even within an app, like if, if you don't sort of go back and keep tidying things up, you'll end up with these layers of like, well, this one was two years ago because that's the way we did things back then. Yeah. This, I, I feel like we are, uh, we're slowly approaching the, the hot topic on the internet right now of uh, the micro front ends. Um, I don't know if you've had a lot of time to read or, or think about this. <laughs> I, but. I haven't really. No, I just sort of saw the word and I saw people saw Twitter blowing up about it. Yeah. And... They're, they're kind of getting to this concept of like, things change pretty quickly in that world. Um, you know, new front ends, new versions of react, even things like that kind of come out. Um, and if you could build your websites as a, a set of components loaded through JavaScript, um, with various frameworks, you could switch things out a lot faster. Um, it's an interesting concept. I I worry about size and performance and some stuff like that, but I think there are ways around it. Yeah, I'd also kind of worry about just the the like mental overhead of switching frameworks constantly like you end up with. I mean, it's it's the same problem as you have now, I guess, with uh, with an app that's like half backbone, half react, half copy script or something. Um, and I could just imagine like if you have a, an app that, that is like, you know, 10, 10 micro front ends or something is like some some react, some old react, some angular, some svelte, whatever. <laughs> and then, you know, years down the road, I feel like, uh, I don't know, just maintaining it would be would be tricky. Yeah. Uh, and you're, you know, theoretically hiring different developers to work on different kinds of things. You know, you're hiring react developers over here. If you split it up like by squad or, or cross-functional team, yeah. right? Then you're dealing right. with this team's trying to hire React engineers while this team's trying to hire Angular engineers. There's right. I it's interesting because I wonder how that's mitigated, like on a back end, right? If you if you're writing a lot of microservice architecture, like you might have some things written in Node or like Ruby or Python, or just depending on what the best use case is. Um, yeah, but it's so much. Yeah, I think it. It's just so different on the front end. Yeah, it is. I mean, like it all kind of has to has to work together and and all be, you know, a cohesive experience at the end. Yeah, yeah. And front end, you know, at back end, you're never going to notice um, if your API request went to a Python server versus a Node server. Uh, but on the front end, you might notice some differences uh, in the UI or something like that. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And then, I mean, I feel like if, if you can break up your app into tiny little things like that, like maybe that works and maybe it makes sense, but then you end up with like, how do you share state between all the apps? Like put it in Redux, then connect all of them to Redux. I don't know, like local storage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Eventually that could, I'm sure that that becomes a problem too. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. Um, we have some of that yeah. in our app right now. We have a, a pub sub uh function that we use to to post messages between the various parts of the app some of which are still in like rails templates and some that are in react and even that's mm, just kind of yep. ridiculous to manage so yeah yeah great <laughs> imagine that was like five more frameworks yeah yeah uh, i don't know even i mean even even if the apps are like independent and within the same framework like if you got like three different react apps mounted like they 
sharing data between them is still not maybe not super easy. Yeah, I I, I don't know how I do it. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. it feels like there's lots of <laughs> options, but none of them are perfect. So, yeah, right, right. That's sort of like software development in a nutshell, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's lots of options, but none of them are perfect. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, software development is an exercise in managing disappointment, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. So uh, I really enjoy your blog. I read a lot of your posts. Um, okay. I know just recently you wrote about um, some of the custom hook stuff, and I really, really enjoyed that article. I haven't gotten a whole lot of time to to dig into custom hooks. I actually just wrote one at work uh, the other day, so that was fun. <laughs> but uh, I was hoping maybe you could talk a little bit. Uh, what are custom hooks? I feel like a lot of developers who have kind of started are um, maybe they're using hooks. They're using you know state to manage their booleans or, or something like that. But um, what are custom hooks and what are some use cases that are, are really good for them? Yeah. Um, so custom hooks are, are it's, it's a fancy name for a function that calls hooks basically. Um, so I think, I think, I think the name sort of scares people off. Like you see custom hooks and you're like, Oh, that's going to be difficult. Or like, I don't really need anything custom. Like maybe I can make it work with the regular hooks. I don't know. Um, but, but no, I think it's, it's, if you if you have some hooks code, like you you can make your very first custom hook by taking taking your like a uh, use state call and then just make a new function called like use whatever and like cut and paste the use state into the use whatever and return whatever the use state returns. And so you've made this little like wrapper around your use state, right? And you can call it whatever you want. So maybe you have a specific kind of state that's like use current title or something, and it just kind of makes it a little easier to read. Because you can t you you can look at the code and know like oh this is the current title state, um, but you know that's that's kind of custom hooks in a nutshell. Like you you put hooks in a function and then call the function. I yeah that, so that that blog post I wrote uh, was kind of just a couple of really small examples um, of of that kind of thing. Sort of like these, I, I guess I call them like I don't know nice to have hooks or like life improvement hooks or something like almost documentation style things where if you have um like a, a boolean flag you need to flip back and forth um and you end up writing these little one-off functions or you, you're you're writing inline functions that, that set state true and false um you could make a little like use toggle hook that returns just true and false setters so now you've got these functions you can just pass around if you need to be able to um toggle that thing and so, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think the, it's sort of a, maybe a mindset shift or something where you start to see places in your code where you could use a custom hook, start to see like bundles of state that belong together or bundles of state and, and effects. Maybe you've got use state and use effect or something, and they kind of both relate to the same thing. You could pull those out into a custom hook. It's really interesting. I, uh, I, I've been using, I, 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 do a lot of that toggle uh, style without ever thinking to have pulled it out into a hook. Um, and when I read that in, in your post, it really just kind of made sense. Like, you know, there's all these times that I'm just setting up like an on click on a button uh, that just toggles a thing to the opposite of what it was. Um, yeah, right, 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 right. And if I could save some of that boilerplate, it would be, I mean, that, that's lines of code per function or per component that, that you're saving, which is good. Yeah, and it might not be a ton of lines, but it is kind of, you know, reduces the mental overhead a little bit. If you think of it, think of custom hooks as sort of like components that are that are hooks. Like if you if you would 
if you find yourself commonly writing a button with an icon inside it with some text or something, you would extract that into a component. Um, and you can do the same thing with hooks. That's a really good way to think about that. I, I really like that. Um, I think we've kind of taken the approach of um, separating out complex logic into custom hooks, but I really like just separating yeah. out conceptual ideas and, and anywhere that you would kind of pull out a component or pull out like a, yeah. a unit of code. That's really cool. Yeah, it's maybe the same sort of idea as like, where would you pull out some part of a function and make it a new function? Um, I, I know like comments are a hotly debated topic, but you know, the, the place where you, sometimes you see the advice that, you know, wherever you would write a comment, like take those lines of code and put them in a function with, with a more descriptive name or something. And I sort of think of custom hooks as the same kind of thing. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I think I lean towards, uh, pull them out into a function and then like rework your comment to, uh, to describe that. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely yeah. like that. That's really cool. Um, so, so kind of continuing, um, we, we've talked a little bit about this, I think, but, um, you know, React changes a lot. It's one of the cool things about the language or the framework is that, um, they're constantly trying to iterate, uh, while keeping backwards compatibility and a lot of other stuff. Um, even just like within the last like year and a half, we had, uh, fibers and like the update to React 16 and all of that kind of thing. Um, and then hooks now and, um, all of these other, the, the suspense stuff is coming out soon and, and all those kinds of things. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations on how a developer could, you know, next new thing X, uh, how do I learn that? How do I go figure that out for myself when that comes out? Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's sort of probably a few different parts to it. I guess part of it is finding time, um, which is, I guess, unique to, unique to every person. Like maybe, maybe your, maybe your job gives you time to look at, learn a thing. Maybe you can pick a new feature and like try to learn the new feet, the, the, the new, uh, technology for that feature. I was going to say feature for that feature, but that's not very helpful. Um, you know, like try to you maybe learn hooks for, for the new feature you're building or something like pick something small and try to learn it that way. Um, and I think the, the other, the other part of it is, is sort of like how you tackle the actual learning part. And, um, I think I would say going back to what I was talking about earlier, I think sort of trying to carve out a tiny example, like the smallest possible thing, um, you know, hello world to start off with. And then, and then just kind of build from there. But pick something small that you can try out within maybe say half an hour or something. Um, just give yourself some time to play with it and, and try to treat it like, treat it like more like play than like work, I guess, like pick a thing that seems kind of fun to build and just sort of have fun with it. Um, I think it's, I think if you try to make it too large, if you say like, Oh, I'm going to build like, I don't know, like a whole social networking app to learn this new hooks feature or something like you're just gonna, it'll, it'll be, it'll be overwhelming. Um, and try to learn, like try to learn one new thing at a time. I think even if, even if you're trying to learn, say you're trying to learn hooks and suspense, um, I would say try to learn maybe hooks first and then suspense, even if you use the same, the same kind of like core app as your, as your testing ground or whatever. Um, yeah, try to break it down into into individual individual tech. Cool. Yeah, I have 
uh, kind of kind of a, a similar issue of like um, a lot of times when I go to build like a, a side project, I'll have um, I guess caught in this rut of like not this is this isn't the perfect way to do this. Um, yeah, and, and I think I, I maybe I should start building things like you were just describing, uh, and just starting with a small thing uh, instead of trying to be like, all right, well I'm gonna go build you know an entire developer tool using hooks. Um, I think. Yeah, yeah. That focus is it's nice. Tough it, it's so it's so tempting too. I mean, I I, de- I definitely like I still fall into that trap sometimes. Like I've been um on and off playing with Elixir, which is like a backend language. Um it's really good at concurrency and it kind of looks like Ruby, but it's more functional. Um but it's a cool language. But you know, after doing a couple little examples with it, I'm like, oh, this is fun. I'm gonna go try to build something bigger now. And um it's amazing how just sort of how disheartening it is to 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 create that new project and then you're like, oh, I don't even know where to start. Like I could I guess I could make a file in in the in the lib directory. Is that where I put it? Like I, <laughs> you know, where do I even begin to to like pick this thing apart? Um so it's it's tricky to find that that balance between um how do you take the first steps and then how do you connect that to uh, a larger, like kind of real worldy thing. Um, and I think there's, there's gotta be like a middle ground or a couple middle ground steps in there where you like build progressively larger apps, like start with hello world and then build a to-do list and then build, you know, kind of like work your way up to, um, to something larger. Cause it's tough to go from like, okay, now I barely know the syntax. And now you have to, like, if, if you jump from that to, like, trying to figure out architecture and the syntax, um, like, that, that becomes tricky, I think. Yeah. That, I, that's entirely been my experience with that. It does become tricky yeah. really fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, It's just tricky. Then, and then it's just sort of, I don't know, for me, I end up just putting it aside and <laughs> move on to something else. And I don't know. Yeah. Great. Well, I think we are getting towards the end of this. Um, I, you've given me so many interesting things to think about. I, I'm excited to go uh, apply some of this stuff the next time React, you know, creates a completely new paradigm like hooks. Yeah, <laughs> like suspense probably. Right, yeah, yeah. I have <laughs> I think, not uh, gotten to play with that at all. It's coming soon. I haven't really either. And honestly, like, um, it's it's funny because as a, uh, I don't know, as a, as a blogger, um, I feel like I sort of have to keep up with this stuff even more so than if I was just using it at work somehow. Because I feel like at work you could I could just stick with my features and build them with the same way and learn the new stuff whenever I felt like it. But I feel like I, I sort of have this obligation to to keep up with things. Um and so uh it's it's, it's tricky sometimes. Like especially if the if the trying to find a good way to to teach new concepts and learn them at the same time um which i think is kind of another good way to learn things i think i've i've learned a lot like while i've been in like in the middle of writing a blog article about books or whatever um where like i'll have to go and read docs and have to play with a bunch of examples myself before i can find a good way to explain something um so i that's that's also kind of a good strategy go to um you know dev.2 or whatever and write some try writing some blog post that explains the new topic um i think it's a great way to learn it 
Yeah, that's uh, been a lot of the experience I've had with writing, too. I Early on in my my writing technical things, thought that I needed to be an expert to write an article about something, and quickly realized that if I just start writing and then go figure out what I don't know and write that down, yeah. those are like my most helpful articles. Yeah, exactly. And and I think you you just need to be like, a little more knowledgeable than the person who's reading the thing right like right <laughs> there's so much that there's so much that, that that we that we already know that that we just sort of forget that is uh we, we we sort of forget that not everyone knows the the background knowledge that we already have yeah and, and there's so many people out there that are probably think very similarly to you uh and maybe don't think the way that every other tutorial is written that's a great way to teach yeah Cool. Well, uh, do you have any picks or plugs uh, or anything you'd like to, to say? Is there somewhere people can come find you? Um. So, yeah, actually, there's a, there's a, a link that I found the other day called boringtechnology.club. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a talk titled "Choose Boring Technology," and it sort of dovetails a little bit with what we were talking about today. Um, it's uh, it's the the site is actually like slides with sort of a narration next to them um and uh pretty much talking about picking when you're when you're trying to choose technologies for a project um and it makes a good case for choosing not boring as in bad but boring as in like well understood things and i think i think react is kind of in that camp now um where it's like it's the widely used thing and so when something new comes up, like, should I build it in React because we're already using React or should I try out Svelte or something like that? And now we have two frameworks to maintain. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I like that. Choose boring te uh, boringtechnology.club. Cool. <laughs> the, Definitely have to check that out. And, um, and uh, yeah, so if, if people want to find me online, I'm uh, at Dsedia pretty much everywhere. C-E-D-D-I-A on on Twitter, um, and DaveSedia.com is the blog, um, and PureReact.com is the book. Go to check that out. Great, yeah, I am actually gonna go pick up Pure React like right after this. I I'm super interested to go see um, what things I missed in teaching myself. So I'm excited. Awesome, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I would love to have you back sometime. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Um, Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Cool. This is Future Conlin. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check in next month for the next episode of React Delivery.